talking to Fred Santarpia, who is the president at Endeavor Streaming. Thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure to be here, Taylor. Good. So, like, what exactly does your current job entail? So, Endeavor Streaming basically um, powers a lot of the video apps um, that consumers use. Uh, we work with companies like the WWE, the NBA, um, Univision, um, the NFL, and but basically what we do is we handle all the video tech, all the technology services related to um, delivering and distributing video, both on demand and as a live stream. And we do that end to end for companies from the moment in time where they're, um, you know, producing a, a video or an event. And we take it all the way through to actually building their uh, front end applications for every device from, you know, Apple to Android to Roku to Amazon Fire. And so when a company, when a media company wants to um, go direct to consumer and have their own video presence uh, on those platforms, but they don't have the services internally at their companies or the, or the experience in their companies to do so, they hire Endeavor Streaming and we come in and we take care of everything end-to-end uh, -end, and they only have to worry about what they do best, which is create great content. Mm -hmm. So you oversee everything? Yeah, so I'm the president of the company mm -hmm. um, and we're about, um, about you know, five, 550 people globally um, based in, um, you know, uh, based in London, uh, New York, and a small presence in, in Shanghai. And that's everything from our sales teams to our marketing organization, um, our product uh, development, our technology and engineering teams. And, um, and I've been with the business for about a year and a half. Nice. So how did, how did you like get to where you are kind of professionally? Well, I, I took a really, um, I took a really unique path. Um, when I was in college, I had no idea, um, what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, like, I think a lot of people, you know, I talked to my parents and, um, my dad, uh, encouraged me strongly to major in accounting and he, he was like major in accounting. He's like, be an accountant, you'll always have a job. And, um, you know, he, very risk averse and that was like that was like the safe that was like the safe play like a lot of parents they want to like don't want risky choices for their kids like play it safe and um you know i probably wasn't the most focused on academics when i was in college and so you know my dad was like major in accounting i was like all right i'm not really being totally honest i'm not really paying attention anyway so sure i'll major in accounting and um and I graduated and I had a job at a major, at a major accounting firm. And, um, I had this like terrible, terrible realization that now I'm going to be an accountant for the rest of my life. And I realized what, what it was, no offense to the accountants out there. It's a lovely profession, but it wasn't for me. And I had realized, oh my God, like I have to figure out how I, I don't do this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so um, I did like the bare minimum um, in public accounting that you need to get certified as a CPA. You need to do like 
18 months of work in public accounting and then you can take your test you can get certified whatever i was like i'm gonna do 18 months in one day and then i'm gonna get out of here and i ended up um taking a job at i got very lucky and then i was able to to find a job at um uh, universal music um which is which is the world's largest recorded music company this is a long time ago but this was um this was back in uh 2002 and um i got a job in finance i was doing accounting instead of doing accounting at an accounting company i was doing accounting at a a music company okay and um and so um it was a time during which like the music industry was going through like a lot of pain and so um you know it was like the advent of Napster and peer-to-peer file sharing, so like piracy was taking a lot of money out of the business. iTunes had come, had just launched, and they were charging 99 cents for a single as opposed to like 20 bucks for an album. And the industry was going through all these these shifts, and so it was consolidating rapidly. A lot of change, like cutting costs, yeah, figuring out how to make money, and so. Um, the, the result of that was that like the company was like really interested in trying to find new ways to make money. And there was a small group of us that started working on um, trying to make money from advertising on the web, which was not something that they had ever done before. And um, so basically like we had all these websites, we had like hundreds of websites that like Eminem.com, Rihanna.com, anytime like an artist would launch an album, they'd build a website and they would call it marketing expense. They wouldn't expect to make any money off the website. It would just be like, we're launching a new album. We have to put up a new website with all the new art and the tour dates and all that stuff. But like they wrote it off as a marketing expense in the business. And so we were like, well, we have 300 of these things for like all these giant named artists, you know, what if we strung them together as a network? Like, could we sell ads against them? And um, because it was like, you know, probably like, I don't know, like four or five million people a month that were hitting the websites. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, we can sell that to somebody. So you mean like and, have ads on Rihanna's website? Yeah. Okay. And so, and so we started building this little advertising business that, you know, was totally experimental. Nobody at the company gave a crap about it. Like they were like, if you guys can make a few bucks at it, make a few bucks at it, whatever. Right. And, and we did, we made like, we made like a few bucks, but what was important about that is we became the only people in the company who had any experience with digital advertising, Mm -hmm. like at a time when it was still pretty new. And so, you know, this is like kind of like where fate and luck happens, but the very next thing that happened was that um, YouTube um, didn't want to um, continue to pay Universal to use its videos on on YouTube, its music videos. Like so, like Universal used to put all, all the music videos on YouTube. They're like, we don't want to pay you for that anymore. And so we had to come up with a new business model for it. And the business model was, we'll give you the videos, but and you don't have to pay us for it, but you give us the right to sell the ads. And this is so and cool. So, okay. And so that became Vivo. Mm. And 
So like, like I, because I was one of the few people in the company, like one of like 10 people in the company that knew anything about digital advertising. And when I say that I knew anything about digital advertising, like you actually went and hired somebody from digital advertising, they would know 10,000 times what I knew then. And, but they needed someone to build like the business plan for this thing, this company that was going to become Vivo that would sell the ads and distribute the music videos to YouTube. And so they asked me to do it. And, um, and I did, and I ended up, uh, becoming the, the general manager of Vivo and launching that business. And, you know, that was a wild transition for me because I went from like, like within like a few years, I went from being an accountant, like closing the books for like some of the, these back office departments in Universal to running um, the largest music video company, um, you know, in the world yeah. and throwing like live events with like Kanye West and Jay-Z and Maroon 5 and doing all this cool stuff and hanging out with all these very talented people. And I was always petrified that they were going to realize that I was an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. So that's kind of how I got into like okay. media and video. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Accountant to Vivo. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So then how did you go from Vivo to where you are today? So, you know, the thing about Vivo is like it was so early on in like the video, right. like the online video time. Like we launched that in 2009 mm-hmm. and it like it was a rocket ship. You know, we were doing we did a ton of revenue really quickly because it was like almost like we were leading like a resurgence of like music videos and yeah. like artists started making more of them and like the creative concepts got really like, you know, really wild and people were you know really hiring top tier directors to 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 direct their what they were considering short films and so the one thing we did really really well is that we were able to like go to the advertising community like the people who spend money on advertising big agencies and marketers and convince them that you know they should pay to advertise on a lady gaga video and they should um they should be willing to pay the same thing they pay to advertise for a episode, a primetime episode right. of say like Grey's Because we're like, look, you've got, these are like super premium. They're really professionally produced. They feature the most socially relevant celebrities on the planet. Like you're gonna get a ton of engagement for all of your marketing and your advertising. And so um, we built this really impressive video advertising business and um, Vivo happened to be headquartered in uh, a, a four times square. Um, in New York at the time. That's where our offices were. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the publishing company, Condé Nast, was um, located in the same building, 100-year-old publishing company. Yeah. And they, um, they own Vogue and Vanity Fair and GQ and Wired and, and all sorts of publications. And they were, were a legendary advertising company, but they had no idea how to create video. Mm. And so, like, so... In the music business, we had a ton of video. We always had video. Like MTV was playing videos in like the early 80s. Like video was always a core asset that the industry used to promote album sales, but had never built the capacity to sell advertising against them. So at Vivo, 
We had the video, but needed to build the advertising credibility. At Condé, they had all the advertising credibility in the world because of their relationships through the magazines, right. but had no video. Right. And so it was like, okay, Fred, like if we hired you to, to, to do this, could you help us build a strategy to you know produce lots of video, distribute it, get people to watch it, so we could convince our friends in the advertising business mm-hmm. to run ads against it. But like they, I mean, you're talking about like the luxury advertisers, right? right? Like right. people will spend like top dollar to get their message across and um, convincing them to like run on video was a big challenge. And so, but but if Vogue was doing video, then that would feel safe to them because they trust Vogue, right? right? So um, they wouldn't just advertise on YouTube but they would advertise on Vogue on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we built a whole uh, business around video at Condé Nast called Condé Nast Entertainment. I left Vivo to go do that um, because I saw it as like another big challenge to take yeah. on. And um, yeah, and so we, we started, um, we, we built like a whole uh, division of producers and content creators and marketers all who came from the video space who were trying to think through programming strategies inspired by the brands. So like, I don't know if you've ever seen is a, a Vogue video series on YouTube called 73 questions. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great example, right? Like we took like, um, we took what was unique to Vogue and what was unique to YouTube and we meshed them together. Yeah. Right. So, for Vogue, it was, we're going to give you like this unparalleled access to Sarah Jessica Parker's townhouse, right? That only Vogue can get you. But we're going to interview her first person to camera. You're never going to see the interviewer. Sarah's going to talk straight to the camera and she's going to take you through it, which is a format that was like super familiar to anybody who was watching YouTube content at the time. They didn't come off like a magazine on a, on a YouTube right. channel. And, um, and we just, it started to work really well. And we built a massive business, um, a, just a ton of audience across, you know, probably 20 or so channels, one for each of the different brands at the company. And, um, you know, we had these great relations with advertisers, which meant we could make a lot of money um, doing it. And so it became a giant business for the company and um, led to me running digital for the whole business. And so I took over as chief digital officer for all of Connie Nast um, in like, I guess, 2014, like running their um, running their digital strategy as a company across um, all the titles. Mm-hmm. And what was that like? A lot of fun. <laughs> um, you know, you're there's a lot of perks in that job. Um, you're obviously you're obviously dealing with like some pretty heavy transformation issues because you're trying to take a, a company that's a 100 years old, historically underinvested in digital capabilities and technology and platforms. And there's very print centric and bringing in new disciplines and new skill sets and getting people to think differently about how the internet works versus, you know, what they were used to previously. Lots of big challenges there. But you're also working with some of the most accomplished executives in all of media. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with Anna Wintour, um, who obviously legendary editor-in-chief of Vogue, and just 
just a wonderful, uh, wonderful partner, Graydon Carter, who was running Vanity Fair at the time, another just tremendous executive, both creative and, 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 and business. And um, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun being around them and um, learning from them and, and I think contributing to, to this, the continued success and evolution of the company. Yeah. Okay. So then after that, did you go to Endeavor from there? No, I actually took, I actually took a little bit of time off. Okay. Um, I decided to like, I was so burnt out after like the Vivo Kanye Nast experiences back to back and I was getting married and, you know, I was like, you know what, I would really like to get married and then go on an extended honeymoon. And so, um, my wife and I went to Italy and we got lost in Tuscany for a while, which was, uh, if you, if you have to get lost someplace, I highly recommend getting lost in Tuscany. Okay. <laughs> Noted. I will take note of that. That's a note. That's a note. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I came back and I really, you know, I had, um, I had the opportunity to really think through kind of what I wanted to do next. Um, and, um, you know, I ended up, you know, moving into e-commerce and I took a job as chief operating officer of Moda Operandi, which is a, um, a luxury e-commerce company, primarily known for really um, selling um, uh, selling uh, luxury clothing right off the runway. And so um, they call it trunk show. And, um, you know, we work with designers to, um, you know, produce and program their collections and then um, make it available for custom order for, for clients. Um, I took that job two months before COVID mm. and, uh, the next year was a very, very challenging year. Um, because, um, you know, like most, a lot of e-commerce companies just, you know, COVID sent the supply chain into complete shock right. and managing that business during that time period was, um, was probably the hardest thing I had to do in my entire career. Okay. And what I learned from that Taylor, honestly. I love the company, tremendous brand. Um, I just, I found out that I wasn't passionate about um, selling luxury clothing to, um, you know, to, um, to people. Just wasn't something, wasn't just something that motivated me. Mm -hmm. And um, so after a year of that, I decided to move on to, uh, move on to Endeavor, which was more in my wheelhouse of, digital media, um, you know, you know, delivering video experiences, create, helping customers think through their strategies and creating content. It's what I had always been doing and uh, felt like a more natural fit for me. Okay, I see. So you kind of jumped around a lot in your career, but all at really big kind of exciting companies. Um, like, do you have any advice for for me, for your 22 year old self, or maybe someone who's trying to break into the workforce? Yeah, I'd say like, um, you know, I'm a, big, I'm a big, one thing I've learned is I'm a big believer in taking risks. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to, you have to know um, where your passion lies and be really honest and objective with yourself on, on what you're good at and, and what you're probably not so good at. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are things that, you know, I did in my career that were very scary, um, particularly for someone who came from a background where like, 
risk was bad. Okay. Like risk was bad. Like do the safe thing, right? And I think um, you got to challenge yourself to take some of those risks in order to grow and to push yourself into situations that you may not think you're necessarily capable of, but um, you know you can you can work to get there. I think one thing I learned is that even though in a lot of these careers, particularly in marketing, fashion, music, everybody wants these gigs. Like um, everybody would love to be in these creative industries and these creative spaces. Um, and, they, and they are highly competitive, but somebody's got to win at it. Somebody's got to be successful at it. And so if you're willing to really put in the work, why not you? You know, and so it requires a ton. There's a ton of hustle involved for sure. Um, but I would say take the risks, be prepared to really work hard. And I think, you know, coming out of college, I think you got a few years to kind of find your footing. And okay. I always, I always used to joke that like, by the time you get to like 27, like, like just showing up is no longer good enough. You have to decide like, you have to decide kind of who you, who you want to be and how much effort you want to put in. And I think by the time you get to your mid twenties, it's a really good time to really be like head down and really focusing on your career and thinking about your long-term path and making small incremental steps along the way to your, to your long-term path. And I think, um, you know, it's to me, it's all about, you know, making sure that you've prepared, you've done the work, you're willing to, you know, go the extra step. And then also hope for that little bit of, you know, luck and that when it finds you, you're ready to take, you're ready to take advantage of the moment. For sure. Definitely some really good advice. Thank you so much for talking to me and telling me about your own job journey. It was super exciting, super interesting, and I really appreciate it. Of course. I'm happy, happy to talk anytime. Thank you.